You are listening to EE Times On Air, and this is the weekly briefing for the week ending May 20th. I'm Eric Singer. This week's podcast is sponsored by Power Integrations, the leader in high-voltage integrated circuits for energy-efficient power conversion. Joining us in the second half of today's program will be Doug Bailey from Power Integrations. Doug joins us for a fascinating conversation that covers everything from three million years of human history up through the electrification of, well, everything. First, a quick overview of some of the stories we covered this week. Is computer vision reinventing itself? In an interview with EE Times correspondent Sally Ward-Foxton, Riyad Benesman predicts neuromorphic vision is the next evolution of computer vision. He argues that current image cameras are hugely inefficient and that an event-based approach inspired by biological systems can save power and reduce latency. However, Benesman says we're a long way away from achieving fully human-like vision for commercial use. To improve and enforce AV safety, The European Union released a legislative draft for vehicles with automated driving systems, otherwise known as ADS. The document provides requirements and guidelines for auto OEMs to determine what capabilities an AV must have to receive a type approval in Europe, a move that will have a significant impact on how the AV industry develops, tests, and deploys AVs. India, like many other nations, is attempting to stake its claim in the semiconductor industry, petitioning for 150 acres of land in the Cochanahali Industrial Area to build its first 65-nanometer analog chip fab. The project, which is part of the larger Indian Semiconductor Mission, would invest approximately $3 billion in the IC fab, setting India on a path to build more high-tech manufacturing in the country. The project is still pending approval by the government of India. Find all of these stories and more on eetimes.com. If you're on this episode's webpage right now, there are direct links to each of these articles. Also, remember you can sign up for EE Times newsletters. Our daily newsletters include latest industry news and insights. You can sign up by clicking the subscribe button on the top of our homepage. This week's episode is sponsored by Power Integrations, the leader in high-voltage integrated circuits for energy-efficient power conversion. Cavemen discovered fire, and man evolved that discovery with inventions to light our way, cook our food, and keep us warm. But now, we can all agree, we need to change how we think about energy, how it's generated, used, how it can be more efficient. In recent decades, numerous advances include clean energy from renewable sources, the electrification of things previously dependent on burning fuel, and that focus on energy efficiency. As we move towards the electrification of everything, this intimate relationship that humans have with fire will go away. As humans won't see a naked flame in the future, that's a pretty major departure. This current generation of engineers is going to obviate the need for fire. Doug Bailey is with us today to discuss the innovations and the changes in legislation, regulations, power generation, and efficient electrification. Doug has been with Power Integrations since 2004 as their VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering. Doug, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, Thank you very much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Doug, let's start by talking about decarbonization, moving from this long history that humans have with combustion and where we're going 
in the future? What do you see as the big things, the mega trends that are enabling that decarbonization? The use of fossil fuels or even renewable, burnable fuels, it's, it's been something that's been with our species since the dawn of time. And as we enter this age of, of electric everything, uh, the mega trends that uh, certainly engineers uh, need to pay attention to are the, uh, are the ones that are, I think, really, really obvious. They're wind turbines. You see them everywhere. It's solar farms. It's uh, electric vehicles. Um, I was at a trade show this weekend where people were showing off electric aircraft. And so there's almost nothing, I think, that, that humans do that really needs fire anymore. And so that's why you know, we're talking about this in terms of decarbonization. But what it is, is, a, is the intimate relationship that humans, that our species has with fire is coming to an end after you know, 3 million years or so. I'd call that a megatrend. <laughs> I'd say so. You know, apart from the way we romanticize fire, when we think about how incredibly inefficient the combustion process is, it's an absolute no-brainer. The, the amount of energy that's lost through heat when we're trying to get light or through light when we're trying to get heat. It's become glaringly obvious, in fact, so obvious that even the politicians are paying attention. And I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the legislative efforts, regulatory changes that are coming, uh, particularly in the U.S. and the U.K., that are driving the urgency for uh, electrifying things efficiently. I could speak most uh, clearly about uh, the, uh, the U.S., Situation, and we have the Department of Energy (DOE), and they own an activity, Energy Star. And I think most consumers will be aware of Energy Star. Sure, um, it's 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 kind of popular to complain about the government, and uh, it's uh, you know that they're, they're not doing enough, or they're doing too much, or, or whatever <laughs> it is. But I, I I would tend to look at what the government has done over the last uh, thirty years or so in terms of helping us to first recognize the problem and then put in place some sensible mm -hmm. uh, mitigations, I, I think they've done a pretty good job, actually. Yeah. And I, so I, I think the Energy Star is a really good step forward for things like uh, uh, you know, chargers and adapters, computer systems, appliances. And the way it's been done is to improve the efficiency of products without costing the consumer anything. Uh, so it, overall, I think it's been an extremely positive experience, both for industry and for uh, society in general. Yeah, I can't imagine we would see things like LED light bulbs drop in cost as dramatically as they have over the last few years without phasing out incandescent bulbs. That the, the government efforts there, I think, have, have really made it happen more quickly and more affordably for the consumer. Without that, I can't imagine how we would have gotten here. Right. Well, I think the main contribution there is, to, is that the government can make is to level the playing field. Mm. Because in initial phases of a new technology, it's always a little bit more expensive because it's just new. You don't mm -hmm. have the, uh, the factories in place, capital equipment has to be purchased and that kind of thing. And so, you know, things are a little bit more costly. But then if you put in a, a level playing field for all companies and you set a, a series of competitive goals up, all of us compete. And uh, the prices come down extremely rapidly. I mean, mm -hmm. it, the the semiconductor industry is a 
is a spectacular industry in terms of economies of scale and and uh, cost reduction over the years. I mean, mm-hmm. Moore's, Moore's law is the famous one where they talk about the transistors on a on a piece of silicon. Um, but I don't remember the silicon getting more expensive either. And so <laughs> the uh, you know the the semiconductor industry is 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 a spectacular um, human construct that uh, I feel has done a, done a, a lot of good and, and in partnership with with guys like uh, the DOE or the European EUP or the Chinese CCP um, we've uh, you know I think made made a real contribution there's no doubt about it I want to get back to the point that you just made about governments providing this leveled playing field so that we can implement these new technologies faster and and with less pain to the consumer. I think one of the most visible places that we see that is with electric vehicles. Can we talk a little bit about the transportation sector? Uh, Absolutely. I mean, if you look back uh, over 100 years, people have been using electric modes of transport. Uh, the London Underground is an electric hmm. transportation system. It's a, a rail system. And it's 100 years most, old, right? Yeah, or over, I think. Than, uh, yeah. um, so the, the, the concept of using electricity to help you travel is, is well understood. And, you know, you have bullet trains in, in Japan and, and China that, uh, uh, you know, move people, move lots and lots of people around extremely efficiently and, and effectively. The, what we're talking about with EVs now is the kind of EV that carries its power with it. Mm. Right? A train, you get the power from a third rail or from an overhead pantograph or, or something like that. But EV, you know, EVs carrying batteries, I think, is, is the innovation. And that's being driven by, by the battery industry, and it's being driven by, I think, the semiconductor industry, again, with uh, you know, wide band gap materials, silicon carbide, gallium mm. nitride, um, and... Uh, and then the you know the the older technologies like uh, the IGBTs. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the pretty massively significant innovations in in the wide band gap field. Um, let's get into it a little bit. Let's let's talk <laughs> okay. about how we got here, starting with with silicon and and moving up towards the uh, alternative technologies that that we're playing with these days. Yeah, so so I think uh, must have been ten or fifteen years ago when the first silicon carbide diodes uh, became commercially available. Uh, so silicon carbide has has become, I think, quite mature uh, as a as a material set. It's better than silicon, and and um, it it has lower capacitance for the same specific RDSON. And what that means is you can switch it with less of a penalty for having done so. And that's the fundamental benefit that, that you get out of silicon carbide. Um, then just recently over really the last five years or, or perhaps a little longer, um, gallium nitrides come into play. And that's a completely different technology. It's a different um, switching structure than, than silicon carbide. Um, and it's, it's better. It's better in almost every sense and the way I think about it is uh, is energy budget. Mm. You look around and you say, well, you know, silicon. There's lots of that. It's it's you know, sand on the beach, carbon, carbide. It, it's a readily available chemical. Sure. Even gallium comes more or less for free when you mine aluminum and nitride, nitrogen. That's everywhere. So these materials, nothing is none of these materials are special. Yeah. So why do they cost anything at all? <laughs> well, they cost. 
anything at all because you have to put energy into make into refining them and processing them. And it turns out that gallium nitride has a much lower energy budget in processing than silicon carbide does. And so ultimately, gallium nitride is a, a more cost-effective technology for anything you want to do. The question is, can it do it? Mm. And it turns out that uh, silicon carbide works really nicely at high voltages and gallium nitride is starting at low voltages and and kind of edging its way higher. Do you think we'll see uh, in the near future high voltage applications for for gallium or where we could be doing things like running train level voltage through a gallium nitride chip? Now that's a very interesting question. I, I've learned in this business never to say never. And, <laughs> you know, the, the number of people who called the end of Moore's law, you know, and then, then found out <laughs> they, were, they were wrong by two decades. I don't, I don't want to say never, but I, I think the, where we are right now is, is in the sort of 750 volt level. That's where we are um, commercially, mm. um, which is a, a great voltage for flyback converters in uh, small power supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's 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 a little on the low side for an electric vehicle, for example, where the bus voltage might get as high as 550, even on a 400 volt battery because of um, generation. Mm-hmm. And in a 800 volt battery, you need even more than that. So I think for the short term, um, we're going to see silicon carbide taking on most of the heavy lifting for the higher voltage applications and gallium nitride being the extremely cost-effective, uh, high efficiency end of the uh, consumer products, you know, things that plug into the mains. Mm-hmm. If we can, I'd like to ask you about the InnoSwitch 3 product that, that you all have that has all three kinds of transistors in it. Can you walk us through it a little bit? Yeah, it's, it's well, it's not schizophrenia. What it is, <laughs> is uh, horses for courses is the way, uh, at least uh, it would be expressed in the UK from where I grew up. The InSwitch 3 is a flyback converter. Probably should, should start there. It's a flyback converter. It's very highly integrated. So it has the primary uh, controller, the primary switch, the secondary controller, and uh, a isolated feedback mechanism that's uh, almost instantaneous. It, it's a magnetoelectric couple. So it's, you, you don't use an optocoupler. It, it, it's a single a, a single chip power supply as you can get, more or less. But the main switch in that can be silicon or gallium nitride or silicon carbide. We use silicon when we're looking at very low powers, little standby converters for uh, washing machines or dishwashers or uh, where they want high efficiency or, or power supplies in the kind of 30 watt and under range. Okay. And the reason for that is that the gallium nitride is so good and so, a con- so conductive that the piece you need is so small you can't pick it up. <laughs> so you kind of have to use silicon because it, it's, um, it's manufacturable, whereas the gallium nitride becomes way too small wow. um, to, to use. So, so then from around about 30 watts to you know, 240 watts, which is where we, we top out with our flyback products, um, uh, without needing a heat sink. You know? So we, we do... Uh, the, the inner switch can be heat sinkless up to a, a couple of hundred watts. Uh, that's gallium nitride. And uh, that does just a sp- spectacular job. We get you know, really high efficiencies in the 90 
three and a half to ninety five percent, depending on how you're configuring wow. it. Yeah, I mean it. It's uh, it's really amazing. We've over the last few years, we've we've gone from a ninety ninety ish percent to ninety five percent, which is half the losses. <laughs> and half the losses means you can double the amount of power in the same package. You don't you don't need you know without heat sinking. But that's, that's incredible. That, it is it, it's pretty neat. And then the silicon carbide is a seventeen hundred volt primary switch. Same package, same controllers, but 1700 volt switch. Wow. And so you can use that in applications, as I was saying, like uh, um, EV for emergency power supply. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, um, that's the product. Neat. And that's not the only product that you all have dropped recently. I mean, this year alone, it seems like you all have been on quite a binge of releasing some pretty newsworthy items here. Yeah, well, we've been leveraging this um, gallium nitride technology into other applications. Uh, power factor correction is one that we we uh, put our eye on. And the, one of the really neat things about gallium nitride is, well, if you think if you think back as an engineer, you think back to your first EE one hundred and one class at university, and the teacher, you know, the lecturer would throw up a a switch. Um, on, a, on a whiteboard and lecture you about how switches work. But pretty quickly, you get into how transistors work and you realize, uh-oh, these things aren't <laughs> ideal, right? There's a capacitance here and there's a resistance there. And and it no, turns perfect. out, <laughs> yeah, almost all power supply topologies are, are designed to overcome the unwanted parasitics of the lousy switches, mm. right? And so gallium nitride, because it has very low capacitance it has low drive energy you don't have to put a lot of energy into the gate and it has very high conductivity it's closer to your lecturer's ideal switch that you learned hmm. about in e101 and so that means you can because you don't have to take account of a whole bunch of parasitics you can design with performance in mind and and without compromise and so that's what we've been able to do with the, this pfs5 the hyper pfs5 product is we we pull together a power factor corrector that is a single little surface mount package that requires no heat sink and does uh, you know 98% plus energy efficient power factor corrector wow yeah uh, up to a couple of hundred watts you know 220 watts it's a new world it is gallium nitride is a is a fantastic uh, fantastic material are there any other products that have come out already this year or are due to come out that you can tell our listeners about? Yeah, we, we have one other uh, product that we developed that's actually silicon. And this is a, a product we're really proud of. Um, it's our uh, next generation of uh, LLC converter. And we use silicon for it. We have a gallium nitride switch. We have a silicon carbide switch if we wanted to, but we used a silicon switch for this one. The question is, well, why? Why would you use silicon when you got all the fancy stuff? And is the answer is a high voltage situation, or what's what's the driver here? <laughs> no, it's uh, it's for you know TVs or console game power supplies okay. or PC passes all in one computers. It's for those kinds of applications, and it it turns out that uh, because it's resonant, it switches at zero voltage. That's how it's designed to operate. Mm. Is you only care about the conductivity you don't really care about the capacitance so if you design with resonance in mind to start it's a resonant converter you really 
you know, gallium nitrate gives you um, it gives you some benefit, but not not enough to to really make a, a perceivable difference mm. in most circumstances. And what, so we chose a, a, a silicon transistor uh, for that particular product, you know, just just to sort of demonstrate that we're not um, we're not gan zealots. <laughs> As Doug and I were wrapping up our conversation, he brought up a famous speech by an American politician. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. But not the part of the speech that most of us are familiar with. There was another part of that, uh, that particular speech that I bumped into a few years ago. And that was a section where he said, science has no conscience of its own. Whether it will become a force for good or ill depends on man. He went on to say, you know, whether it's going to be used for good or ill depends on man. I would modify it to say it depends on us. We have the opportunity to make a, a, a spectacular difference. This is the generation of engineers that will set the tone for our civilization. Now, to be a part of it, to be an engineer at this time, a power engineer, participating in this megatrend is a real privilege, and uh, I feel very privileged to be part of it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next few years to see how it all pans out. One more huge thanks to Doug Bailey from Power Integrations. Doug, we really appreciate your time today and really looking forward to your presentation at the Power Up Conference. This brings another episode of The Weekly Briefing to its end. Thank you for listening, and thanks to Power Integrations for sponsoring this week's program. Join us for this year's Power Up virtual conference and exhibition from June 28th to 30th and learn all about the newest breakthroughs in wide band gap technology, renewable energies and smart grid, and low power. Register for free today at powerup-expo.com. The Weekly Briefing is available through the major podcast platforms, but if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript along with direct links to the other stories we've mentioned, along with plenty of other resources. The Weekly Briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. I'm Eric Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>